but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we have our annual service in which we pray for the Lord's blessing on our crops and labor. We will pray for sunshine and rain so crops and grasses may grow and the land may produce food for people and animals. We will pray for the Lord to provide sufficient work so we can operate our businesses and provide for our families. We pray for the Lord's provision because we know that success is ultimately dependent on his blessings. Yet what do we expect when we pray for God's blessing over us? What does it really mean to be blessed by God? Many times we equate blessings with good health, so we can live free from pain and stress and the limitations that come with illness and disease. We think that being blessed equates with having lots of money, so we're free to spend it how we please. If we or loved ones face health struggles or financial hardships, very often we do not consider ourselves to be blessed by God. In the Old Covenant, God promised his people health and prosperity if they walked in his ways. Yet he told them that they would face economic hardships and wasting diseases if they strayed from his covenant. Just read through the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience listed in Deuteronomy 28. You will see that this is true. We tend to unilaterally apply these promises made to Israel to our lives thinking that if we love and serve the Lord, he will bless us. And if we don't, he will bring sickness and financial worries upon us. And so, whether explicitly or implicitly, we begin to believe in a health and wealth gospel. Living in a materialistic society, it's difficult for us to feel content, especially when we face hardships and adversity. This past year has been a difficult one for many of us. Some have had to learn to live on less income. COVID-19 and the public health orders have also limited our ability to visit with family and friends, to support and encourage each other through face-to-face -face interaction in the communion of saints. Many are facing COVID fatigue. Some are lonely, some are frustrated, some are tired with dealing with conflict. These things make it difficult to live in the joy of our faith. Our text this morning challenges us on our perspectives, on God, on money, and on how they relate. Could it be that the Lord is using the struggles of this past year to cause us to re-examine 
what's really important in life? Where, beloved, does our happiness come from? Does it come from being healthy and having the freedom to do as we like? Does it come from material riches, from being able to afford a nice house and a comfortable lifestyle? Will being rich satisfy the deep longings of your heart? Let's consider these things before we ask the Lord for his blessing over our crops and labor. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll consider the curse of covetousness and the blessings of contentment. Our text begins by stating now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. To be content is to be satisfied with the good gifts that the Lord has given you. Our text teaches that true contentment only comes with godliness. Perhaps a good word to describe godliness is devotion. A godly person is devoted to God. This is more than having a warm emotional feeling about God, like we sometimes do when we sing a song of praise to Him. The attitude of a godly person's heart is such that it is his or her fervent desire to please God. Such a person is in tune with God. He or she walks with God. God is the center of such a person's thoughts. He or she is focused on living life to the glory of God. Sum it up, godliness is devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. We cannot and will not be content if our heart is not focused on God. Our human tendency is to set our hearts on things below. We tend to get involved in life, to get caught up in all the things going on around us. The problem is that it's so easy for us to lose sight of God and of how he wants us to live free and joyous lives in his service. When it comes down to it, the real problem we face is that our hearts are sinful by nature. By nature, we're self-focused instead of being God-directed. By nature, we tend to covet what our neighbor has instead of being content with what God gives us. Coveting is wanting something that belongs to another. Please understand, beloved, that wanting and desiring are not wrong in themselves. God created us with certain desires. When we're hungry, we want food. When we're lonely, we want someone to talk with. Wanting and desiring such things is not wrong. Yet our sinful hearts often desire things that belong to someone else. We want what our neighbor has. His house, his car, his wife, his business, his employees. Her husband, her good looks, her well-behaved kids, her life. We set our heart on what our neighbor has. The problem with us, beloved, is so often we want wrong things. 
So often we're grabbing for things because we want to satisfy the deep longing of our hearts. So often we desire someone else's blessings. We look at what someone else has been given and we think, if only I had that, I'd be satisfied. I'd be content. Our hearts lust after all kinds of different things. Money, property, relationships, someone else's physical appearance, positions, athletic abilities, toys, intellect, spiritual gifts. We think that having what someone else has will satisfy our deepest longings. In our materialistic society, it's easy to set our hearts on money and on what money can buy. In our text, Paul warns Timothy against a desire for riches. He writes, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, beloved, there's a fundamental problem with the desire to be rich. Jesus taught it to his disciples in Matthew 6. The problem is our human heart can only be truly devoted to one thing. You cannot serve both God and money. Either one or the other will take priority in your life. If you choose to chase riches, you put your relationship with God at risk. If money is your God, you will do pretty much anything to get it. Even if that involves lying, cheating, stealing, or taking shortcuts. Some people chase after money by buying lottery tickets dreaming about winning big. Others chase after money by gambling. Not all gambling takes place at the casino. You can gamble by betting on sports or by taking unreasonable chances in how you invest on the stock market. Some people chase after money by setting up their own businesses and working hard to get ahead in life. Yet they neglect their relationships with God and loved ones because of their desire to get rich. Jesus warned against this in our reading from Luke 12. A man from the crowd called out to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It appears that a man has, had died. He had left his inheritance to his two sons. It appears that the inheritance included land. The father had left it to his two sons as a unit. Yet one of them wanted a division so he could have his own share. Traditionally, the rabbi stated that if one heir wanted a division of property, it should be granted. Roman law required the agreement of both parties. For Jesus, the issue was not about applying the law to this situation Jesus saw there was a deeper issue at stake. Out of greed, the one brother wanted his own share of the inheritance at the cost of his relationship with his brother. 
rather than finalizing a broken relationship between these two brothers, Jesus wanted to reconcile them, to bring them together. The point Jesus wanted to make is that some things are more important than money or property. It comes through clearly in the parable Jesus teaches about the rich fool. Jesus introduces this parable with a wisdom statement. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is warning against an insatiable longing to always have more. He tells us life is about much more than the sum total of our material goods. To show the stupidity of greediness, of longing after stuff, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. He described a rich man, someone who had far more than he needed. And yet God gave him even more. His land produced a bumper crop. Something he didn't earn, something he really didn't need. Created a problem in this man's life. His barns were too small to store his crop. With his abundance, this man had a wonderful opportunity to share his blessings. But he doesn't even think about that. In the parable, the man tries to work out the problem for himself. Note this man's complete self-absorption. He is alone. He tries to solve his dilemma alone. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Notice this claim of ownership. Talks about my crops. To Jesus' listeners, this man's self-focus would have stood out much more than it does in our individualistic society today. Life in the Middle East was lived in close, tight-knit communities. Elders sat in the gate. They talked things through. People made decisions only after long hours of discussions with their neighbors and friends. They did their thinking in a crowd. But this man trusts no one. He has no one to help him solve his dilemma. He came to a conclusion about how he should deal with his bumper crops. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. The self-indulgent man decided he alone will consume God's gifts. Continues, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This rich man now thought he had it made in the shade. He's become a multimillionaire. He can now live the good life. And yet Jesus pictures him as a pitiable creature, alone, without family or friends. Filthy rich, but without anyone to enjoy life's blessings with. Jesus' general principle stated before the parable comes into focus. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance 
of his possessions. Beloved, we in the Western world are guilty of rampant materialism. We work and work and work. We spend and spend and spend. We acquire and acquire and acquire. We're like rats on a treadmill, on a spinning wheel. We want more and more, thinking that happiness depends on all the stuff we can buy. So often we're self-focused, we're self-absorbed, we're self-indulgent. But are we happy? Are you satisfied with what you have? Or are you still striving for bigger and better and more? Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Evaluate your life. What you do with your money and your possessions. How much do you give to God and to his kingdom? How much do you share with your neighbor? Are you like the man in the parable and that you think first and foremost about yourself? Our hearts are often focused on money and riches because we think that attaining these things will make us satisfied and content. Often our coveting is driven by the emptiness of the human soul. Just as our bodies hunger for food, our soul hungers for significance. So often there's a desire in our heart to be someone special. We try to fulfill this longing with outward things. But our soul goes on hungering. For this world was never designed to satisfy us. Beloved, just like your car can't run on water, so you cannot run on what this world has to offer as wondrous, as marvelous as God's creation is. God created it for our enjoyment, not our satisfaction. This life will never satisfy the hungering and thirsting of our needy souls. Only God can do that. God has created us to live in relationship with Him. It's in Him, only in Him, that we find meaning and purpose for our lives. As much as we try to satisfy ourselves with other things, we can only find true contentment in communion with the Lord. Covetousness is a curse. All our conflicts, warfare, divorces, abuses, corruptions, failures, and frustrations are the result of choosing to seek satisfaction in this world. It's why people lie and cheat, and murder, and commit adultery, and steal. We think some new experience, some new success, some new relationship, some new acquisition, some new something will satisfy the longing of our souls. Yet the hunger of the human heart can only be met in a relationship with the Lord. It's only in God that we will find contentment for our souls. Brings us to our second point, and it will consider the blessing of contentment. Contentment is being satisfied with what you have. 
Contentment is a result of godliness. It only comes when we're in relationship with God, when we walk with Him. So how does a relationship with God lead to contentment? Well, it's simple. We trust that the Lord is faithful to His promises. God has promised to provide all we need for body and soul. If you believe that, you can go forward trusting in the Lord to provide all your needs. We need to believe, beloved, that God is good. God's not cheap. God loves to give good gifts to his children. In Jesus Christ, we are given an abundance of blessings. Let's start with our spiritual blessings. We have been adopted as God's children, given forgiveness of our sins, restored to union with Christ and fellowship with our Father in heaven. The Spirit has come to make his home in us, guiding and directing us in the Lord's ways, comforting us. He has promised to remain with us forever. We've been promised an incredibly rich inheritance, life with God eternally on a renewed earth in joy and glory forevermore. God's gifts came to us at great cost. He had to send his dearly loved son into the world to suffer and die for us. Jesus had to walk the pathway of suffering. He had to bear God's wrath against all our sins by dying on the cross. If God loved us so much, he was willing to send his son to die for us. Don't you think he will also provide us with our material needs? Jesus promised that he would. In the Sermon on the Mount, he pointed to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he showed how God fed and dressed them. He told us not to worry about such things because our Heavenly Father knows that we need them. He promised to provide for us. Our text teaches a few more principles about the things that lead to contentment. Verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. These words remind us of the parable Jesus told about the rich fool. The rich man talked about my crops, my grain, my goods, even my soul. He was determined to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. But God had other plans. He said, Fool! This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? This man depended on his riches for life. He didn't realize that not even his soul was his own. And when God determined that his life was over, what good did all his riches do him? This poor man was alone. He didn't even have someone that he loved to pass on his inheritance to. Our text teaches us not to live life as if now is all that matters. We need to learn to live life from an eternal perspective. I know that's often hard for us to do. When we look around us, 
It often seems as if others are healthy and prospering. And if we're not, we become envious and discontent. Our problem is is that we should not live life focused on others around us. We should be living life with our eyes focused heavenward in trust and dependence on God. The Bible teaches us we are but exiles or pilgrims on this earth. This is not the be-all and the end-all of life. The promised land still awaits us. If you want to get a measuring stick out to compare things, why do you use the measure of money and possessions to gauge your blessings? I'd like to encourage you to use a different measure when evaluating your life. How many years do you expect to live on this earth? 80? Or 90? Or even 100? Let me ask this question. How long is 100 years in comparison with eternity? If this life is so short, and it is, Why put so much emphasis on how well you live now and so little focus on knowing Christ and living with him in eternity? Our text also teaches us a realistic measure of what we need in order to be content. Verse 8 says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The word for food can also be translated sustenance. The word for clothing can be translated covering or shelter. It involves both clothing and having a place to live. What our text teaches us is to be content with the basic necessities of life. Now, that goes against what this world teaches us. It teaches that you need to live in a luxurious home, to drive a premium automobile, to have money investments, to be happy. Living in the Western world, it's hard to imagine being satisfied with basic necessities like food and clothing and a place to live. But perhaps that's because we've been spoiled with so many good things that we've begun to take them for granted. Beloved, think about the first immigrants coming to Canada in the early 50s. Think about how they lived. Think about how many in the third world live today. They're thankful just to have food and clothes and a place to sleep at night. Beloved, if you can't be content with the good gifts God gives you, it's probably because your focus is on on God's gifts instead of on God himself. Please remember how our text began. It teaches that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. True contentment comes from godliness. It comes from having a heart devoted to the Lord, seeking to do His will. 
It comes from recognizing all your spiritual blessings in Christ, from knowing yourself to be supremely blessed, to be a child of God and an heir of everlasting life. Apostle Paul speaks to us about these things in Philippians 3. He says that for Christ's sake he had suffered the loss of all things and he counted them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. Paul recognizes he has not yet attained the goal of perfection. Yet he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says that forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul has learned to know Jesus as the only Savior. He seeks his life and well-being in him alone. Paul also encourages us in this. He sheds tears over those who have set their minds on earthly things. They are walking the pathway of destruction. Paul points out our citizenship is in heaven. He encourages us to eagerly await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Joy, peace, and contentment cannot be found in the things that this life has to offer. They can only be found in Jesus Christ and the righteousness he gives to all who believe in him. Beloved, our striving in this life should not be after the almighty dollar. Our striving should not be to get rich. Riches bring much responsibility and many temptations along with them. Instead, let us be thankful for the rich way in which the Lord provides for us. Let's be content in our hearts with the blessings he bestows on us. Let's strive to use the gifts he has given in his service. That in our lives we may love him from the heart and serve him sincerely. We may be sure God will provide his children with a blessing over the labor of their hands. He'll grant sufficient for all our needs. Is he not our covenant God who's promised to take care of us? Has he failed to provide us with all good or to turn the evil that comes upon us to our benefit? We may rest secure in the gracious care of our Heavenly Father. He's not only restored us in our relationship with him through the death of his Son on the cross, he's also promised to grant us all things in him. Beloved, this life cannot give you true, sat true joy or satisfaction. Only Jesus Christ can. Focus your hearts, beloved, on the grace given in Jesus Christ. Out of thankfulness for the wondrous redemption Christ has earned for you, commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him number one. Serve him wholeheartedly. This morning we'll pray for the Lord's blessing on our crops and labor. Let us trust in the Lord and his providential care over us. That he will provide us with all we need to carry out the tasks he has given us to do. God will not fail us or forsake us. 
You will grant us our daily bread. You will provide us with all our bodily needs so that we're enabled to serve him as we walk the pathway of everlasting life. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together from Psalm 62, stanzas 1, 6, and 7.